No, I'm not preaching in the wig. I know, I know. I have limits, all right? Come on, I have limits. I have limits. My kids are like, you got to preach in the wig. I was like, you preach. And then you tell me how it goes with a wig on, right? They're like, oh, that's okay. You don't have to wear the wig. I said, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. Hey, uh, for the uh, hurricane relief, put a reminder in your phone, right? We're going to leave here tonight. We're going to have fun. The chili cook-off, the trunk or treat for the kids with the candy. And so things can get away from us. I know happens for me. So send yourself an email right now on your phone if that's what, that's what I tend to do. And then it's in my inbox when I come back into the office on Tuesday if you've got uh, some type of reminder app that you use. But when you show up next Saturday, come on, make sure that you bring some of those supplies. We want to surprise that group that's headed south to relief, to bring relief. That uh, We want to surprise them with the generosity of this church and the supplies. Uh, that we want to bring to that moment. So I believe that we have some birthdays today. Do we not? I believe that Brennan Thaler, it's his birthday. Come on. And is there somebody else in your crew that has a birthday? Yeah, all right. There's another. There you go. Happy birthday. This is really just a big party for them. And then Ed is in here somewhere, but I think he's serving and working. So this one's for Ed. So I'm going to give this to Flo and then Flo's going to make sure that Ed gets that. Yeah, don't sit on my wig, okay? All right, thank you. That's so great. So great. I don't know what's scarier, that my wife looks like Flo, or that the only thing that I needed to do to look like Bob Ross was to buy a wig. I don't know which one's scarier. I'll let, I'll let you decide. I'll let you decide. It's like, I wear this outfit to work. I, this is pretty crazy. All right. I need to go shopping. I think that's my... My conclusion. Hey, we're in this, in this series, in the crowd, and, and, and every week there's going to be an opportunity for you to respond. And, and for some of you, you might say, well, Fred, I, I feel like I'm responding every week. And what I would say to you, you keep doing that. If, if this series lasts for weeks and months, and you stand up every week, then you keep standing. Then you keep standing. And let God do the work in you that you need him to do. And don't be ashamed that you continue to reach for the hem of his garment. If you want the context of this series, we don't have time to lay the groundwork for it tonight. You can always get it through our, our website, through our sermons. All of them are online. We put the notes online, a PDF document. We tend to cover a lot of textual ground. So if you're a note taker, that can be frustrating. So the notes every week are, are up there. And so you can get those uh, as well. So just, but just to get our, our brain moving in the right direction tonight, let's, let's talk a little bit about superheroes. Can we talk a little bit about superheroes? Because I know that you probably have some favorite ones, right? Whether it's Marvel or DC. Anybody know what DC actually stands for? Say that again? Almost. Anybody else want to take a guess? I got another Starbucks gift card in my bag over there. No? All right. The time's up because now you're Googling and I know how that works with the church of technology. It stands for Detective Comics. And it was actually the, and Batman launched, really put them on the map. And so that's why I know David Godwin, who is on vacation, who's a big comics guy, that, that when I say DC Comics, he says, you can't say DC Comics, right? It's just DC. It's Marvel Comics and DC, and now I know why, right? Because if you say DC Comics, you're really saying comics twice. So that's just a little, I'm just throwing that in for free tonight. All right, so who's your favorite superhero? Favorite superhero, Marvel or DC? Marvel or DC? Wonder Woman. Thor. Thor. Yes, ma'am. Wonder Woman, yes. Are you dressed? Oh, you've, what do you have on top? Is that a little Batgirl? I like it. Somebody else. Anybody over here? Favorite superheroes? Superman. Who else? Who else we got? Favorite superheroes? You got a favorite superhero? What do you say? 
skeleton. You are your own superhero. There you go. Come on. Somebody else, favorite superhero, Marvel or DC? Anybody else over here? Black Panther. Come on, Wakanda forever. Spider-Man. Somebody else? The Flash. Flash, right? That's the, what's the high five. I got it. Batman. Batman. Nice. Somebody else? Anybody? All the way in the back? Venom. That's your favorite? That doesn't really suit you, Danielle. I know. And congratulations. Your daughter just got married. Come on. I know. Nice. Come on. You can clap. Don't clap halfway. Married. Married people. Somebody else. I see some hands. The wasp. Yes. Anybody else? Am I getting Captain, I know it's about time. Captain America was a little slow. Yes, ma'am. Little lady right there in the blanket. A mermaid. Come on. Captain Marvel. Mine growing up was Aquaman. Anybody else grow up watching Justice League? Watching that cartoon on Saturday mornings? I think one of the reasons why all of those movies appeal to us is because something inside of us likes to be astonished. There's something inside of us that, that likes to be amazed. And so when we see these films, or back when they were just comics, they, they, they rose to popularity because something in our humanity wants to stand in a place of amazement. To marvel means to be filled with wonder or to be astonished. Synonyms, to be amazed to be surprised, to be awed, to stand in awe, to wonder, to be dumbfounded, and my favorites, to be flabbergasted. We don't use that word enough, flabbergasted. David and Hannah, Pastor David, our student ministries pastor, their little, little girl, Selah, she's, she's going to Disney for her first time, right? That's where they, they, they flew there this morning. They're with the, the Walls family. Uh, she, she's about ready to experience some marvel. Can we agree on that? She's about ready to be astonished. How many, any young families in here been to Disney, right? Can we just agree, this is what they're selling? They're selling Marvel. They're, they're selling amazement. They're selling astonishment, and they do it so well. I remember back in, it was in 2005 or 2006, our kids, one of their first experience to a theme park, it wasn't Disney, it was an alligator adventure park in Myrtle Beach, I know. Some of you know this story. It's one of the Hall of Fame stories here at the City Life Church. And so we, we decided, we were a young family. We were living just outside of Richmond then. And our kids were probably, they were five, three, and one. And so we were looking for a cheap vacation. And we realized that the week after spring break, all of these places, the hotel rates, they almost cut in half. Because everybody's there for spring break. Nobody travels the week after spring break. And so we homeschool our kids. And so we had the schedule flexibility to travel whenever we wanted. So we did our vacation instead of the week of spring break, the week after. So we got this crazy deal on a hotel. And so we traveled that, made that six hour trek down to Myrtle Beach. And we were looking for different theme parks that we were going to, to travel to. So we found this place, right? You go to the hotel and they give you these guides in the lobby. And we saw this, this alligator adventure park. And, and our kids still talk about it today, right? We walked away like, this is incredible. And one of the most memorable parts of the trip, aside from Ethan falling to the bathroom and splitting his chin wide open and Leading everywhere, right? We were like, dear God, we're on vacation. We're going to have to get stitches. But my rule is if I can close it up with a butterfly band-aid, then you're good to go. And right? So he spent the whole week with this butterfly band-aid squeezing his chin together. And so, which I'm not sure maybe that's a good thing if you get him too close to the alligators, right? The whole blood thing. Maybe that was a bad parenting decision. But anyways, we're there in the park and we come through the gate 
And, and, and there's this large fenced exhibit that's, that's, I don't know, maybe like 25 yards or so th- through the, where you come in. And so there's an alligator in there or a crocodile and, and it's not moving. So we walk up to it and we're standing there at the fence. Of course, nobody's there because everybody was there last week. And so we're standing there and Vanessa says, I think this is a statue. I know, right? You know where this is headed. And like, honey, I, I think if it was a statue, they, would, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't have a fence around it. And said, so, oh, no, no, it's not real. It's not real, right? So she gets down on her, Chris is laughing over there, right? She gets down on her knees, right? It's a chain link fence. And she's like, sticks her hand through there. She's, she's poking it. And it's not moving, right? And I'm standing over here with the kids. And the kids, they're not looking at her. They're looking at me, right? Because I'm the dad. I'm the dad. And, and you know what they're thinking. They're like, I can see it on their face. Can we put our hand in there? We did not exchange a word, right? There's telepathic abilities between parents and children, right? And so I'm just standing, they look at me, and I'm just shaking my head no, right? And she's poking it and prodding it, right? Shoving it. She's laughing. I don't know why you guys are so afraid. It's just a statue. That's why right, it's here. So this is she gets her arm back through. And, and I don't know, maybe it was like an hour later, we're at one of the other exhibits where someone's talking. And, and I kid you not, the guy comes out, right? He's got the microphone headset. And he's getting everybody excited about being there. And he says, how many people saw you, Tan, as you came in the entrance of the park? And people are cheering. We weren't cheering because we didn't know you was and he says we have here one of the largest crocodiles in captivity he's 18 feet long and he's over 2,000 pounds right and as he's describing it there's this moment of revelation that Vanessa almost became the one-armed pastor right that would have been the story of hey right arm in the fence, pushing pride in the color. You could just see the color leaving her face, leaving her face, and the kids, the biggest smile, right, coming <laughs> onto their face that my mother was pushing Utan around in the fence, right? They still stand in awe and amazement that she's got both arms even today. You and I have an incredible capacity to be astonished. We have an incredible capacity to be astonished. In Mark 10, 15, there's this verse that, that many of you are familiar with if you've been around the Bible for any amount of time, where Jesus says, I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Different translations render that different ways. Some say, unless you become like a child. And I think Jesus was saying a lot of things when he said that, but one of them was most certainly that if your ability to be amazed and astonished was left in your childhood, you gotta go back there and find it. You, you cannot move forward in this journey as a child of God, as a devoted follower of Christ, without your heart being willing to be amazed and astonished just like it was so easily stirred and inspired when you were a child. This word to marvel, this, this idea of being amazed, it's, it's at the center of Scripture. In fact, it's one of the major themes all throughout the early parts of the Bible. As you look through the first several books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, and Judges, the first seven books, the Hebrew word for marvel appears in all of them at least one time. 
Now you might say, well, Fred, I don't know if that's so surprising because I would expect all the major themes of the Bible to be in the early books of the Bible, but hope, the word hope, doesn't appear until Ruth in book number eight, and that's one of the top three, Paul tells us, in faith, hope, and love. Why is that? Because God, from the beginning, is trying to say to you and me that he created us with the ability to marvel, with the ability to be astonished, and for many of us, it gets left behind. And Jesus comes back to us, and he says, you're going to need it. Throughout those seven books, you find this Hebrew word to marvel. It's described as too difficult. It's translated too difficult. Why is it translated that way? Because there's times where God does things that seem impossible, that it's too difficult for anyone to do, even God, but yet he does it time and again, and it leaves us feeling amazed. It's translated miracles. It's even translated special vow at times throughout the Mosaic law. There's times where the Jewish people were required to make certain kinds of vows, but then there were certain vows that you could choose to make on your own that were so sacred that it would cause everyone else to marvel around you. It's translated extraordinary. It's even translated wonders. Listen to these verses in Psalm 86, beginning in verse 10. It says, for you are great and perform wonderful deeds. That's the word in Hebrew for marvel. You alone are God. He says, teach me your ways, the psalmist writes, O Lord, that I may live according to your truth. Grant me purity of heart so that I may honor you with all my heart. I will praise you, O Lord, my God. I will give glory to your name forever for your love for me is great for you have rescued me from the depths of death. Listen to verse 14, it says, oh God, insolent people rise up against me, right? He's saying, even in my circumstances where there is hardship, where people are trying to destroy me, it says a violent gang is trying to kill me, and you mean nothing to them, but you, oh Lord, oh God, are a compassion, a God of compassion and mercy, slow to anger, filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. You see that the psalmist has the sense of amazement for God that brings him into a place of worship that even transcends his circumstance. You and I need that in this life. This is the point that I want to leave you with tonight, that I want to give you tonight, and then we're going to talk a little bit about it more through the life of David. Until you let your heart marvel at his greatness, your voice will never worship for his glory. Until you let your heart marvel at his greatness, your voice will never worship for his glory. The reason why Jesus says to you and me that we need to become like a child in the context of rediscovering our ability to marvel and be astonished just as easily as it was when we were children is because he knows that there is something about the experience of impassioned expressive worship that requires the human heart to stand in a place of amazement because unless your heart can stand amazed at the greatness of who God is, your voice will never worship for his glory. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to 2 Samuel in chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. I love this story. Verses 9 through 14. Now, just to give you a little context, the Ark of the Covenant, which was the most sacred religious icon to the Jewish people, was, was, was not in the city of David. It was at Abimenab's house, and they went to get it because they knew it belonged in the city, and as they went to get it, Yuza, one of the sons, reached out and touched it, 
which you're not supposed to do, and the glory of God took his life. So beginning in verse 9, it says, David was now afraid of the Lord. Now this is important because David had a sense of being amazed at who God was, which is why he wanted the Ark of the Covenant, right, which was representative of the glory of God, to be in the city. But now he's lost his ability to be amazed, and now he stands in a place of being afraid. David was now afraid of the Lord, and he asked, how can I ever bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? So David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom in Gath. And the ark of the Lord remained there at Obed-Edom's house for three months. And listen to what it says. It said, the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. Verse 12. Then King David was told, the Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's household and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went there and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with a great celebration. And let's just pause there. If you read this story, like David saw that Obed-Edom was getting a blessing that he wanted, then you're reading this story the wrong way because that's coveting and the Bible calls that a sin. So God's not going to honor his action if it's motivated by something that's sinful. David sees the blessing that's happening at Obed-Edom's house. It's not causing him to covet the blessing that he thinks he deserves. But God's favor that rested on Obed-Edom's house wasn't just to bring favor to Obed-Edom, but it was to begin to turn the heart of David from fear to amazement again. That God, through his favor and through his blessing, was causing David's heart to go from being afraid to being in awe. And as David's heart turned back to a place where he could marvel once again at his God, it stirred him to worship. So this time they go the right way. You can read the story. They take the priest. They follow all the instructions that they were supposed to follow the first time. And they bring the ark back to the city of David. Verse 13, it says, After the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps. Listen, six steps. David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Every six steps they stopped to offer these sacrifices. Listen to what it says in verse 14. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing his priestly garment. It's powerful to see David start in a place of being afraid, his heart stirring back to a place of amazement and marvel and wonder, and how that place of being amazed and marveling and wonder inspired him to a place of worship that even led him as a king, much to the chagrin of his wife, right, which is another sermon for another time, feeling that he was too dignified to step into that kind of worship. But when your heart stands amazed at the greatness of God, come on, your voice must worship for his glory. There's something inside of you and me that God created so that we could feel the feeling of marvel and amazement because he wants our hearts to stir. He wants our hearts to have a rumbling with a worship that begins to rise up and that nothing would ever be able to contain it. 
But it's interesting as we go back to those words of Jesus in the Gospels where he says you must become like a child. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. It's interesting that Jesus puts some responsibility on us, doesn't he? He doesn't say that unless you let God cause you to become like a child again. He doesn't say unless you receive this work. He says, no, 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 no. You've got to go do it. That there's responsibility. There's, there are obligations that we have as devoted followers of Christ to do our part. God will meet us there, but it's part of the James principle where it says if we draw near to God, he'll draw near to us. For some of you here, week in and week out, worship is hard for you. And maybe you've been trying to figure out why it is, and I hope that part of tonight's message is answering that question for you. Because you've lost your ability to stand amazed. You've lost your childlike ability somewhere along the line. You lost your ability to stand in a place of awe and wonder. And when you don't have that, then there's no worship that's going to rise up out of your voice. So let me give you three things that you got to stop doing and three things that you got to start doing. If you're here and you've lost your ability to stand in a place of awe and wonder because you're too proud, then what I would say is you got to get over yourself. You got to get over yourself. David was a king of one of the greatest empires this world had ever seen, and yet he was not afraid to worship and dance before his Lord, for his whole kingdom to see. For some of you here that you come into services like this and, 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 and you feel like expressiveness isn't dignified and what I would say to you, you gotta stop believing that lie that the enemy has whispered in your ear. If we're too proud to worship God, then we lack a revelation of his greatness. For some of you here, it's hard for you to enter into expressive worship, not because you're too proud, but because you're too jaded. Because things have happened to you that are very real, that aren't small. It could be that even you visiting here tonight, it could be that you haven't been in church forever and it's because something happened to you in your church experience, in your past, where, where maybe you did make yourself vulnerable. Maybe you got to a place where you were willing to, to, to open up a little bit and then you experienced betrayal and that caused you to shut down. It left you jaded and what I would say to you tonight is you got to get past it. People that are too proud, they've got to get over it and people that are jaded, you got to get at some point. At some point, you've got to let your heart heal. At some point, you've got to walk away from the pain of your yesterday and begin to walk into your future. And that might mean practical things for you. It might be counseling. It might be sitting down with someone like myself or another leader here and talk through what's happened to you. I'm not naive to how hard it can be to walk out of the pain of your past, but what I would say is at some point, you've got to take the first step. Too proud, you got to get over it. If you're too jaded, you got to get past it. And for some of you, you're just too passive. And you got to search for it. It could be that you're here in services like this and, and with arms folded or hands in your pocket and you've had this very thought, if God wants me to be amazed by him, then he's got to do a better job to capture my heart. And what I would say to you is you should go on a journey of searching to find a reason to be in awe at the greatness of God. And what I will say to you is that God will meet you in every place that you look. 
the three things that you need to start doing is one is at some point you just have to start to worship. We believe in this principle here that right feelings follow right actions. One of the ways that you begin to discover a sense of awe and wonder and marvel at who God is is just to begin to worship him. Now you might say, well, Fred, I thought you said that unless my heart can, can marvel at his greatness that my voice will never worship for his glory, and that's true, but this is what I also know, that if you begin to worship for his glory, then your heart will begin to feel amazed at his greatness. Right feelings follow right actions. It's one of the most consistent pieces of advice that we give to married couples who are struggling. You start doing the things that you know you're supposed to do, the feelings, they're going to come back. For some, you just have to start. Start singing the words that are on the screen. Start thinking about what message those words are actually trying to communicate. Tap your foot, clap your hands, do something to begin to move in the direction All of the things that we do in posturing ourselves in worship is not something that we've borrowed from the world because we're trying to be contemporary. It's just the opposite. We're trying to be ancient. It's called psalmic worship. It might be modern by way of the instruments that we use and the songs that we sing, but the essence of what's happening here has been happening since the beginning of time when God first revealed himself to mankind. We worship and we celebrate who he is in moments of expression. Hey, you don't have to be, I can't sing. If you don't believe that, come sit towards the front up here through one of the worship services. You'll be, I tell you, you'll be right back there where you are at some point, pretty quick. You don't have to be, now you gotta have a gift and a skill to be up here. Come on, let's acknowledge that. But to be out there, you just have to wanna sing praises to your creator. Open up your mouth. And let that worship begin to come. Reading scripture. If you want to begin to discover the greatness of God, then read the stories of how he's revealed himself to the world. If you say, well, I'm just going to give it seven days, what I would say is that's not long enough. Give it a year. If you, if you say for the next 12 months, I'm going to give myself to spending time in this book, I'm telling you, you're going to come out the other side of those 12 months with a revelation of the greatness of God. I kid you not, you might even start coming to church early. If you're too proud, you got to get over yourself. If you're too jaded, you got to get past it. If you're too passive, you got to search for it. You got to worship. You got to read God's word. And this is the other one you got to build relationships with people that are in this room. You start to spend time with people in this room, you're going to stand amazed at the greatness of God because it's through their life you find the greatness of His story. You start showing up to life groups, start serving in ministry here. We're not doing all of those things because we're trying to play church. We're doing all those things because they're pathways and they take you somewhere on your journey as a devoted follower of Christ. You spend time talking to people in this room and you begin to hear the stories of God's greatness. You'll begin to marvel because he's done things that are too difficult to be done in their lives. Worship, scripture, relationships, I'm telling you, you will rediscover a childlike ability to stand amazed and to be astonished. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. You might say, well, Fred, I, I can agree with everything that you're saying, but I'm just not sure that worshiping God is that important to me. And what I would say to you 
is that if you've never experienced what it's like, I'm going to take this before they take my table. I'm going to need this verse. If you've never experienced what it's like to stand in a place of expressive worship with God, then there is an emptiness that you wake up and you face every day. And you might not even realize that it's there. There is a void in you that will never be filled until you open your mouth and begin to worship the one who created you. There's this principle that you read about in Proverbs. It says that we eat from the fruit of our lips. What's that about? It means that the things that you say begin to feed something deep inside of you. And there is a void in you that will never be filled. There is a hunger that will never be satisfied. There is a thirst that will never be quenched until you worship your God. It's interesting because one of the reasons why the Bible says that we were created is to bring him glory. And if you're not careful, you'll begin to see God through a lens of egotism. He's, he's, he's egotistical and that's why he needs us to praise him. Listen to me, he doesn't, he doesn't have an ego that needs us to worship. He calls us to a place of worship to celebrate his glory because he knows the gift that it's gonna be back to you. He's a perfect father. And he wants your heart to overflow, to be full. And he knows it'll never happen until you begin to celebrate his name. So this is going to be the response moment tonight. Whether you're the only one that stands or not, in these moments, it does not matter. But if you're here and you're saying, you know what, Fred, I have a hard time entering into worship. And it could be because you're too dignified. It could be because you're too jaded. It could be because you're too passive. It could be something else on a list I didn't even get to. It doesn't mean that you're acknowledging one of those. You're just acknowledging your need. If you're here tonight and you're saying, Fred, I, I know I come into these, these settings and I look around the room sometimes and I say, I, I want to be able to enter in like people around me. I'm just going to invite you to stand where you are. I'm just going to pray over you. We're not going to linger in this moment very long. If you're here tonight and you say, I want to enter, I want to step into what I see other people experiencing, I'm going to invite you to stand. Father, I pray for every person that's standing in this room right now. I thank you for their courage. If people are standing around you, stand up and gather around them and put a hand on their shoulder. Father, I lift up every person that's standing right here tonight for their courage, for their willingness to say, I want my heart to marvel. I want my heart to be able to be astonished at your greatness because I want my voice to worship for your glory. I pray, Father, that whatever work that they need to be done in them, that you would do it right now. That even now, as we gather around them with hands resting on their shoulder, that they would feel something supernatural stirring in their heart. That that heart of a childlike ability to stand in maze would just come alive inside of them. That even now, they would just feel different. They would feel transformed. They would feel the hands of a living God doing heart surgery on them right now. Let them stand amazed. Let them stand astonished. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said, amen. If you stood, I want you to stay standing. I want to read you this verse. This is for you tonight. Psalm 139, 14. Listen to what the psalmist says. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. And how well I know it. If you're standing in this room tonight, God wants you to know that he made you. You're perfect. You have a purpose. And when he sees you, he marvels at you. And he's going to enable you to marvel at him. Let's stand as we worship together.